Welcome back to Hot Mama Chronicles. It's your podcast host, Amelia Auberg, award-winning filmmaker, creative activist. These are some of the words that describe our guest, Jessica Estelle Huggins. By day, Jessica develops marketing strategies for independent filmmakers, and by night, she's putting together her own productions. Jessica has been featured in a number of film festivals and is becoming a rising star within the industry. You need to check her out at www.jehcreative.com. I'm talking with her in real life. Jessica, welcome to Hot Mama Chronicles! Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Happy to have you. So uh, we have this with our guests to, that before we dive into what they're doing now, we all have an origin story. So if you can tell us about your childhood and um, where you're from and how you grew up. Yes. Um, well, I'm originally from Boston. I grew up in Roslindale. Uh, and I didn't move for the first time until I went to film school in Chicago. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, for the past 10 years, I've done a lot of traveling, but it's so interesting to think back when I just wasn't traveling <laughs> at all. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like my introduction to film definitely started with my parents. Wow. Um, they love, uh, they're mostly blockbuster people, so I got super into like Jumanji and like, wow. Jurassic Park and all the adventure stuff. But my dad, when we were little, my dad had like the big VHS cameras. Whoa. And Explain VHS <laughs> for people who, you know, don't necessarily know what that word means yes, now. That's so crazy that somebody is not going to know what that means. Right, but right. The VHS tapes are the big, literally, tapes that people would put into these huge cameras. And the cameras always had to sit on your shoulder because they were so heavy. Um, but yeah, my dad had one of those. I actually, now that we're talking about this, I should probably figure out how he even got into it. But hmm. he's a big family guy. He's the oldest of six kids. My mom's the 12th out of 14. Wow. So I have a very large family. Whoa. I'm sure we might even be cousins. Maybe. Know. You know what? I'm not <laughs> mad at it. I wouldn't be mad at it. No, but my, my dad always had the VHS camera and he'd capture like me and my cousins running around. Um, and for years, he wouldn't let me touch it because wow. I always wanted to look through the lens. Interesting. And so I'll never forget, I think it was a, a really hot summer day. And I used to do this weird thing where I'd, I'd take skirts and put it over my head and pretend like I had this long, flowy hair. Oh, my and gosh. So, <laughs> and so um, he he just, like, let me. This, this one particular day, he just let me. And so from the moment I looked through the lens, I was like, wow. Like, it was more impactful to see through the lens versus being in front of the camera. So um, I had to be maybe about six or something when this happened. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was that, like, your first introduction into, like, wow, I could, I could do this. Like, I could... I want to do this. I want to learn more, and kind of how to how did that grow? Absolutely. Um, well, I wanted to still be on camera, so I did a lot of acting in school. Um, I also was a sports kid, so I played a lot of soccer and. Oh, cool! Um, I loved performing, and so um, I think it was in middle school. I went to the Irving. Okay. And my theater teacher pulled me aside after rehearsal one day, and she was like, "Hey." have you ever heard of the Boston Arts Academy? And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> At 13. And she was like, I think you're really good and you should really grow your, your theater skills. So you should audition for this school. Wow. And so I went home, asked my parents. My mom was like, oh, I thought you wanted to be like a soccer player. 
familiar, but okay. And so I auditioned and got into the Boston Arts Academy as a theater major. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So what was your life at like at the Boston Arts Academy? It was the best. Most people, if you think about like when they talk about their childhood, they're like, oh, high school sucked. But I had a ball. It was just a place full of weirdos. <laughs> And a bunch of little artists running around. It was super common to have people in the hallway singing opera or doing like flips and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Wow. So while I was there, um, I'm not sure how it works now, but as uh, freshmen and sophomores would have their art classes in the morning and then their academics in the afternoon. Okay. And juniors and seniors would have their academics in the morning and their art classes in the afternoon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, which would often lead into um, rehearsals and like, you know, performances in the evening. So part of being a theater major, we had to take tech courses. And the timeliness of this is really funny because at the time when I was there, there was, so you built the sets, costume design, film, and then I think they later added graphic design. And so for some reason, I did everything except for film. Like film was like the last. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. I, I don't know if I was like a f- subconsciously afraid or something, but in tech, all I did was Boston Boys around to like move stuff. Costume design, I kept hurting my finger because we were sewing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then in film class, I just fell so in love to the point where my teachers had to like get me out of the editing suite. Wow, like, that's like, awesome. You have rehearsal and I'm just like, hold on, I got this one, this one last frame. Wow. And so um, when I was a senior, um, my theater teacher was like, okay, if you complete one short film, um, you can graduate. Because I had already done two main stage productions at mm-hmm. that point. So myself and two other people were the first ever film majors at BAA before it was like a real major. And now it's a real major. They have like a curriculum and a film festival once a year. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. So you guys are like the first. Yeah. And how how does that make you feel? It makes me feel like I'm old now. Uh, (laughs) Not old. (laughs) No, but it, it makes me feel good because I don't think that there was intention of having film as a major but I think there is something to be said about just how technology has evolved and you don't have to depending on what you want to do you don't have to move to to New York you don't have to move to LA um you can really make film almost anywhere it depends on if you really hone in on your audience you know yeah you provide outlets for them to be able to check out your work I know there are all these YouTube stars Mm -hmm. now and um people have the diversity of um, content mm-hmm. and kind of how they're making and creating so everybody and anybody can be a uh, creator so to speak um, or a content producer mm-hmm. which is really fascinating um, so what drove you to go to Chicago and learn about film there so my my dad I'm like a big daddy's girl so he really wanted me to stay and I just was like no I gotta explore the world And so when I was looking at different film schools, Columbia College Chicago was the only school that let you take production and theory. A lot of other film schools, it was like either or. And so from the moment I got into Columbia, I retracted my application from Emerson and BU. My dad was pissed. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
I was like, oh, I got it. Bye. See y'all later. <laughs> and I says, yeah, yeah. I got homesick like two months later. But. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. So you were out in Chicago until so you finish like learning and honing in on your craft. What was your first job? My first job, um, I have to shout out my one of my first film teachers, Del Harvey. Um, he was friends with a theater director who wanted to do um, a short film that was loosely based on this really tragic story. Um, Darian Albert, a uh, young black kid, I think it was July 2000 and something, but basically he was taking summer classes in Chicago and the, when he was leaving to go home, there were these two guys that were kind of messing with the kids. And one of the guys picked up like a four by four and like hit him in the wow. back of his head and he oh like gosh. died. Oh. So this theater director wanted to take that story and kind of construct this, like what, would it, what could have been like the last, what could have been happening in Darian's life the last day that he was alive. Oh. Um, and so it's like wow. part love story, part like tragedy. Mm. Um, and so my film teacher was like, oh, well, you want to be like a co-producer? I can get you this gig. Wow. So I That's worked, cool. Yeah. So I worked for like, I think three or four months, like putting the production together mm-hmm. as well as the actual shooting. And then we went a year and a half of like editing and film festivals. And yeah, and it was like this huge, like festival favorite in a lot of the Midwest so, I mean, oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And then from there, how did you get into the perfect day? Well, that is perfect day. That I is perfect day. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that is like the crux of the, of yeah. what is, okay. Mm-hmm. So from there, like that was like a major, mm-hmm. major healer. And yeah. so like, what did that experience teach you? You know, what was it like being on the set and kind of watching from beginning to, you know, and. Well, um. I learned very quickly that equipment is heavy, <laughs> like heavy. And I'm not like a punk girl. Like I will put on sneakers and like, you know, handle my business. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there's a lot, I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of women like that too. And so um, what was, what was I would say difficult from what I can remember is the amount of people that I was organizing. There was about maybe 60 of us on any wow. day shooting. So it'd be like extras, I'll have them held up in this big room and then I'd have to pull which kids would be walking down the hallway while the director's working with the main talent. Um, and then I got a good friend of mine, shout out to Candace Majors, hey. who um, was our AC and she was like uh, assistant camera. So she was behind the DP the whole time. Wow. And me and her just like nerded out through the whole experience. We loved it so much. And what was also great about it is it was the first set, or one of the first, I, I, I'll say professional sets, that um, it was majority black and brown people. Oh, wow. I've been really lucky to work with a lot of people of color behind the camera. And how did that play out in terms of the casting and kind of the storytelling and the intention behind that? Well, this the story Perfect Day takes place on the south side of Chicago, which is predominantly black and yeah. brown people. So... Um, the um, director, he, um, like I said, was is a theater teacher, and he would he pull some of his students, and his students were also black and brown. Cool. <laughs> so it was like this Columbia College Chicago crew, and then the UIC students. Oh wow! <laughs> that merged together. 
So hashtag Team UIC, yeah. hashtag Team Columbia College. <laughs> yeah. So what comes first in terms of being on a set? Because I've never been on a set before. So do you envision it in terms of storytelling and kind of what the characters are and then you shoot or is it vice versa? Like how is that? Well, I would say it depends on what you're doing. So for me, I'm often um, producer or like co-producer. So um, depending on the project, it will be like, I just have to read whether it be a proposal or a script and then I'll do like a literal breakdown. So for Perfect Day, I, I think it was about 30 pages and I would literally step by step write down all of the props, all of the locations, and this, this is basically a, a breakdown in the production and it helps me create the schedule, like the shooting schedule, what locations we'll be at, um, if we're gonna be there day or night, how many hours, you know, how many people, craft services, yeah. So it's, wow. it's, it's a lot. Wow, and so what about being on this project did you really enjoy? Um, oh, that's a good question. So around the same time of Perfect Day, I also had part-time day job where I was a teaching artist. So I worked for different organizations teaching media, like the same thing. So all day I was just everything film. Um, I worked for Free Spirit Media, Street Level Youth Media, wow. and I was again lucky enough to be around kids who look like me. Wow. Um, and something that I noticed is they, when we talk about film, they'd always pull like Friday or yeah the gangster stuff right and which is fine because they have a place yeah and i'm like have you ever heard of eve's bayou right you know? yeah <laughs> or like the old black and white yeah. films and... yeah yeah like let's watch some of that and it, it was like we both opened each other to a new world of like interesting the narratives yeah. that's cool so like what um out of all the accolades that you received for this means the most to you for this project's project um, so I, I think there, I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person. And I feel like when you kind of put something in the universe, the universe starts working on your behalf. Yeah. And so I, I found a way, like I just met people who were very supportive of the project. I also want to shout out my best friend, Regina Selma. Um, she, her mom worked for United Airlines. Okay. So what I would do is, um, and I, I hope this isn't like a bad thing to say, but I'd give her like $100 for to, to fly on standby. So that's how I was able to travel around the country to different film festivals because she would be like, oh, this is my niece. And I would just get on whatever flight that had an extra seat for me. Okay. <laughs> and so... Um, Got to hustle. Yes. Got to hustle when, when necessary. Absolutely. And my, I think one of the most rewarding things about this project is it allowed me to be in spaces that I'm not sure how I would have been able to get to. Like in New York, film festivals. I went to California twice. Once wow. where it was like a snowstorm in Chicago. And then I would get off in LA and put on flip-flops. Like it was just... <laughs> amazing that's cool mm -hmm. so what um what are you doing with this work that scares you oh i think oh that's a really good question um i think about this i think what scares me is that i feel like it's my life's work to be able to put out different narratives of black people and black americans mm. specifically black americans 
um, because I'm very sensitive to our experience in the world. I, I think we're kind of like the orphans of the world oftentimes, so we don't seem to be good enough in certain places, um, you know, by the other party, whatever that party may be. But for us, um, I think there is something wonderful when we support each other and celebrate each other, you know? So even with your podcast, shout out to you doing oh this gosh. podcast. I didn't tell her to say that, y'all. <laughs> so it's like I, I, I started thinking of other women that you could, um, you know, interview because we all are, we are our biggest supporters. Right. So what scares me about this work is just how important it is um and even without me wanting to be the voice or the face of a project I often am you know when I don't want to be and that comes with a certain set of responsibilities sure so yeah so can you talk about mentorship and and how mentorship has played a role in where you are now yes um I think mentorship is I'm not trying to be cheesy, but it's it's super important because if we think about where we are now, it's because somebody believed in us. It's because someone pulled us under their arms and was like, okay, let me show you something. Um, and so I've been really lucky, again, to have been at a school, uh, Columbia, where um, a lot of my teachers were very, um, a lot of my teachers weren't trying to control some of the things I was writing. It was just kind of like, well, let me structure some of your chaos so that it makes sense on screen, you know? Um, and there was one moment that I, the day, like it pissed me off at the time, but it, I realize now it's so pivotal that when I was a sophomore at Columbia, we had to shoot on a Bolex camera. And for those of you who don't know what a Bolex camera is, it's 35 millimeter film. Like you actually put it in the camera and <laughs> you have to turn the knob for it to record. Um, and so, um, we had a production class that was next to my class and we all wrote scripts and so we'd swap the scripts. So my script went to the, somebody in the other class and vice versa. Interesting. And so what we had to do was take those scripts and actually make a film from the Bolex camera. And so I think maybe it was probably towards the end of the summer we did a showcase and there's these slips that students had to write feedback on. So when I got mine, most of them were good. Okay. Oh, she's great, she's talented, blah, blah, blah. And then there was one in particular that actually said, the director is talented, but she should branch out and cast outside of her race. I'll <sighs> sway. Like, what? <laughs> living. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. And Pause. I, knew, I know it wasn't somebody from my class, just right. because of the order of sure. how the surveys were collected. And I was like, it was one of y'all in the first two rows. <laughs> and so, I know you. I'm going to find you after this. <laughs> and so um, I actually talked to the teacher uh, of that class. Mm-hmm. And the teacher actually said to me, um, I would never... He said something along the lines of, I wouldn't tell you how to see the world. Like, you see the world as a black woman. I would never silence that. And this is a white guy. Wow. So, again, I was really, to your question about mentorship, like, whether it be someone actually calls you their mentee or not. Right. I think sometimes just some some level of inspiration, some level of, like, great feedback can do a lot, you know? So I'm really grateful for that, even though it sucked at the time. Yeah, the way, the way you were receiving the information was like, hmm. 
yeah. cause. Yeah. So in terms of the other pieces of advice, in terms of your trajectory as a creative, what else has spoken to you or what are some words of wisdom that you've heard along the way? Words of wisdom that I've heard along the way um, mostly came from women, black women, mm. who we we do this thing where we get really giddy with each other. We're like, oh, you're in the room too. And we just want to collaborate. And, and you know, and, and so I think most of my great experiences were from black people, especially black women. Um, and I find that black men in the film space so far that I've encountered was like, oh, yes, another one of us. Right. So um, I think it's important to to be able to support each other. And even though when I, because I moved to California for a fellowship in 2017. Oh, cool. And from the moment I got there, I just felt super uneasy. And I, I lived in L.A. for a year, and then I lived in the Bay Area, Oakland and North Berkeley mm-hmm. for a year and a half. So I was in California for almost three years, and I, I just didn't feel good. I felt like with all of this community work that I was doing, it didn't make sense for me to be in a place that wasn't my actual home. Sure. And so I just, I literally kept feeling the pull to come back to Boston. Interesting. Because I was just like, I can't say that I'm about my people if I'm not home with my people. Right. And collaborating with other creatives. And so, um... It's almost like once a week I do find new people, including yourself, that are trying to really elevate the work that we're doing together. 100%. No, that's really key. And I think, you know, as we talk to women in different spaces, uh, the importance of building your tribe. So Mm -hmm. you've been to L.A., or at least to the West Coast, Chicago. Mm -hmm. You've been touched in New York, Mm -hmm. now Boston. So can you talk about how you've gone about in those various spaces of, like, building your tribe and kind of um I think a lot of times with building a tribe it's um you're building trust with people you're building relationships and that takes a lot of time so I lived in Chicago for eight years um and most of my tribe came from my time at Columbia so I mean it's inevitable I was already gonna make friends right (laughs) right right there so long um I do consider, um, I have family, I call them my chosen family, in LA and San Francisco, Mm. um, because I'm just naturally a people person. Sure. And so when you link up with like-minded individuals, there's like this synergy that happens. And so when it's like, hey, I'm moving again, (laughs) someone's mad at me. Right. It's like now I'm going back to the East Coast. Yeah. And so I just really, um, and I'm close to my family, so I I got really homesick too, being Mm. that far away. Chicago, I can get to Boston in the same day. I can't do that in California. Yeah. (laughs) A six hour. Yeah. It's really hard and really expensive. Yeah. You have to, like, watch the deals and, like, mm-hmm. literally get in on, like, special, like, airline sites and stuff. Yeah. So, um, in terms of, you know, your work and, you know, the perfect day that you did, the film Perfect Day that you shot um, deals with a lot of issues around race and equity um, and, you know, kind of the work that you've done with regards to other spaces, deals with activism and social justice. So can you talk about like, the importance of this particular industry um, and the responsibility it has to showcase these types of stories yeah. and why it's, it's kind of like 
you know, it's always like push and pull as opposed to this is what what we need to show. Right. Um, well, first thing is representation really does matter. Um, and not, not all artists feel the responsibility, but I am one of those people who do because I feel like um, it's hard to walk in the world and not feel <laughs> like you have a responsibility for the things that you're literally putting out. You're, sure. you're creative in that that's even in theater and dance. I think all of the art forms, there's something really important about being, representing a very particular community, you know? And so I think for black people in, in, in general in this country, um, at least the ones that I've connected with are really tired of the stereotypical stuff, like we're all gangsters and, you know, single black women, problems nobody wants to marry us like all, right. that, all that crazy stuff is it they, so i feel the responsibility of showing other versions of ourselves right and so actually just a few months back new england film um had they have this film star award and just just for kicks i applied for it and i just didn't expect much of it i actually forgot about it because they go two months of deliberation mm. and so they emailed me in september and was like hey congrats you're a finalist oh wow yeah. that's amazing and i was like oh god like, right <laughs> i felt a um like this weird imposter syndrome actually mm. from from being a you know a finalist because i was like oh man i mean i'm from here but like i just got <laughs> like right. how, did, how did this happen? Yeah. So the project that I pitched to them is called Black Women Shine, and mm-hmm. it's a series where I'm profiling four different Black women in the city okay. that have been doing really great things with, with whatever their work is. So um, Ayana Mack, oh, her yeah. graphic design work, I profiled Jessica Peer in Queens Co. Oh, nice. Um, Catherine Morris of Bams Fest and Summer Williams of Company so the way that I constructed each of these episodes they're supposed to be digital they're supposed to be short so they'll all be less than 10 minutes long and I've had some conversations with some digital strands Um, obviously when you have these conversations there's no promises they just talk to you you know your work and stuff and so um, I just I felt like really weird as a nominee for some reason I just I don't know, and I feel like we do that sometimes, like women, and we're just like, oh, oh no, like we, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to talk about my accomplishments, and we got to stop doing that. Right, we like, have to change the you mindset. You need to be loud about the great things you've been doing, and so they went, they had this huge ceremony with Women in Film New England at WGBH, oh, wow. and so um, maybe like two or three days before the event, I asked my uncle, um, if he wanted to be my date because my boyfriend was performing that night and my oh, uncle then cool. told my grandmother who then oh my gosh. Well, you tell Nana oh like, no everybody she knows tell everybody everybody yeah. come show up at this place <laughs> and they're like wait who, yes. who are you here for what's the yes. so hmm. my my dad and my mom were really mad at me that night they of were course like, why didn't you tell us so I had to get tickets they all rolled through some of my cousins mm-hmm. um and then when they announced the winner you know they're all you know black people are <laughs> they yeah. like screaming <laughs> and i was like oh <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> oh my god right right, right. So, the, so the award is just um 
well, not just, but it's a resource package to rent equipment over the next year. Oh, cool. different um, rental houses. Nice. So um, the goal is to finish the series before their certificates expire in September. And I had already, like from the moment I won the award, the next day I was like, let me get on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. That's amazing. And it's great to share your success with your family because yeah. that's important and I think I'm one of, so I have two two blood sisters, two stepsisters, and so I'm always aware that people are always watching, mm-hmm. even though you don't think people are watching, so yeah. the fact that you're able to share that with your family, mm-hmm. and you don't know, like, the young people in your family, like, oh, well, if, yeah. if she can do that, then that's, like, Absolutely. that's, there's some room for me, so that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. It was, it was actually a really great night because I remember looking at my family being like, oh snap, that was like one of the reasons why I came back home. Yeah. So you guys can experience right. that with me. Yeah. But I was being so like, hey uncle, you want to quietly come right. with me to this? <laughs> well, and I think, I think part of, part of it is changing the mindset, mm-hmm. but I think the other part of it is that when you're creative, it's very hard for people who live in the tangible to understand the intangible. Yeah. So, like, to articulate, this is what I do. It's This is, like, it's something that's, like, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of being a creative, your process. Like, nobody got time to explain everything. But yeah. the fact that they could see that final mm-hmm. piece of it and celebrate you. Because I think that's what family is for, is yeah. celebrating um, our, us in the good times and, 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 you know, being with us as we walk in the valleys, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think in terms of changing the narrative and you're, you as, you know, an industry a rising industry star, what can the industry do to change or make room for these types mm-hmm. of stories to be told? Um, and do you think the industry is really doing enough at the end of the day? Um, this is loaded. I have two ideas about this. I think the industry is making room because they're noticing that our stories are making money. Um, I think filmmakers sometimes forget that. I mean, Hollywood in particular, I just, I knew, like I said, I just couldn't be in California. I didn't want to be at the mercy of the studio as a studio producer and make another like Marvel movie. Sure, the money would be great, but I just feel like I'd be so empty, you know, on the mm-hmm. red carpet. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I feel like the industry at large, because um, we also have to remember, there's still not a lot of us in the big, big decision rooms. Right. Which is why I wanted to be a producer. Um, so they, so content creators, we can develop other strands of distribution. So for example, Ava DuVernay has Array, um, her grassroots like screening series that turned into an organization. Hmm. And so her and her team actually get content from black and brown content creators and they do these huge like screening stuff. Um, they just had, what was it, Jezebel? But she got like a Netflix deal, so wow, yeah. So there's like if there was more of us that wanted to work specifically in distribution and develop other strands, because oftentimes filmmakers think they think so much about creating the thing, but they forget that you gotta get people to watch it and buy it. 
<laughs> and so I think the I'm not sure if the industry needs to be responsible for that because I don't know maybe because I don't really trust them so I just think it needs to be on us and then the other thing is I'm I'm on the independent side so something that I've noticed about Boston that doesn't make me feel good is filmmakers don't seem to get a lot of love here when it comes to funding so you have all these foundations that are supporting you know theater and dance and all the other art forms but not film which I think is really interesting because Boston hmm. has a really gnarly documentary like sector yeah they like, do. there's a lot of documentary filmmakers here and some by way of I guess WGBH because it's a yeah. huge media conglomerate but I'm noticing when it comes to funding independent projects filmmakers aren't really getting that much love um, wow. and so that leads me to also say I wish that black people that do have money would invest in our stuff you know mm. our community literally like our actual neighborhood but also our, our own art too mm. you know wow and so in terms of moving the needle it's really being in the leadership roles and being in the room to decide these things and yeah you know i was watching something where um if not ava duvernay it was the woman who's a producer of Harriet, she Cassie. talked about, um, she has, I can describe she has curly hair and... I think it's the, the director, Cassie? She's a producer on, she was a producer on oh. Harriet. And so she was talking about how um, it took them 12 years oh, yeah. to make. And so I think, you know, sometimes, you know, our decisions, you know, life is really about whether you're living decisions you know, to play checkers or chess. And I think when you're making films, it's really about chess, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's, I think, part of the conversation of like, how do we create um, space to do that? Because we live in a society where it's just all about short-term thinking Mm -hmm. and like like instant gratification. Yeah. So um, in terms of your work, what do you want your legacy to be? So... Um, I don't know, I always feel funny saying this, but I just feel like if Tyler Perry could make Atlanta pop, um, it'd be great if somebody like myself could make Boston pop. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would also, I mean, I would hire black writers, but that's like a different story. So, (laughs) yeah, I just think that, um, again, earlier, like what I was saying about technology and the evolution of us having access to so many things so quickly now, um, I would love to have my own studio here and not only make my own work, but also collaborate with other artists or just like here, rent my studio and right. make your stuff, you know? Right. So my hands doesn't have to be in anything or everything, but just, I want to be able to support on that level too, aside from making my own projects. Mm-hmm. So I'd love my legacy to be like, you know, Jessica still Huggins helped make black Hollywood or Boston Wood film. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So in terms of you doing this work, it's really about um, longevity and focus and discipline. And so what inspires you when you're like in the middle of it or the thick of it? What inspires you to do this work and move forward? Um, I think it's just kind of in my DNA. I think what, what also inspires me is um, sometimes 
stepping away for a second and like grabbing some dinner with some friends or like watching terrible reality shows with my mom or you know like having very human moments that make me think oh this was fun but let me get back to work you know mm-hmm. not that my work is always super intense it, it is fun for the most part but sometimes you know and it's like when you're in the thick of something and it's not fun anymore <laughs> you gotta <laughs> step away for a second right uh, and so what what inspires me is just being human and mm-hmm. remembering that like this is supposed to be a journey you know this is it's a marathon not a sprint sure what would little Jessica who is like so excited to look through the lens say to big Jessica about the work she's doing now oh um don't I think little Jessica would say to big Jessica um stay excited stay inspired yeah because I think we always I think the older you get, like, you lose a little sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about, you know, being around young people where they're, like, they have no fear. Mm-hmm. The sky is a limit, you know, and they're, like, they imagine things and the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Um, whereas I think when you get into hashtag adulting, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, ooh, like, the money and, like, why well, I got to be set up this way mm-hmm. and... You, know, you have all these external factors. Like, I know my friends who are balancing motherhood and, like, careers and mortgages. So, um, so that's cool. So, I, like I told you before, like, I started this podcast because um, uh, of a tribute and an homage to the women in my family that are called hot mamas. And so a hot mama is living in purpose on purpose. So I'm just curious from your, you know, perspective, are hot mamas made or born? I think yeah, I mean you can be I mean there's, I, there's no silver bullet answer I actually <laughs> like the idea of being both because yeah. I feel like we live in a world that it's either or yeah. and not both and mm-hmm. I think you're I think some women are um, they they can they already have in their DNA to be a hot mama or they are and then there's some women who give themselves permission to be a hot mama interesting cool so in this uh, version, in terms of like just filmmaking, filmmaking, that'll be interesting. If you had the propensity to make a film, money was no object. You could bring back people from like the the dead or use people here. What would you do, and who would you cast? Whoa, I we have all. I mean, we have all night. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, the first person I thought of was Robin Williams. Oh, interesting. Um, Because he was like my favorite when I was a kid. Mm. Because he, to me, he he was amazing on screen, whether it be comedic role or dramatic. He'd either have me laughing or crying, sometimes both at the same time. Um, I also want to throw in that I would probably be really intimidated to work with him. (laughs) <laughs> because I think he 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 was so great mm. um, and it makes me sad to think that a lot of comedians in particular have really sad like histories yeah and um, but I think they make for good people yeah and I think in order to 
kind of be up and be, you know, comedic, you kind of have to have a certain perspective of the world for yeah. sure. And that informs your lifestyle. You know, you can't be funny all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Mr. Rogers and all the documentaries that are being made from, about him. And kind of, I, I often wonder, I'm like, was he like that, you know, with his family and taking off his shoes and being mm-hmm. so like friendly? So, so, okay, so you would, ha- you would make it about him. Would you include anybody else? Um, well, obviously Ava. Right. <laughs> Ava DuVernay. Um, I think aside from just her being a black, a beautiful boss, um, I think she's an incredible writer. And if mm. I, I think I'm like okay, but if I could write like her, I would, I would feel like I could do a lot of damage, like good damage. Good damage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we want good damage for sure. So yeah, um, probably not on the same project, even though that would be interesting. Has Ava done a comedy before? I don't think so. I think all of her stuff has been drama or very, you know. Okay, we'll put them together. Yeah. (laughs) And you could be the first. Yes. You go. And if it happens, because you already put it in the atmosphere, Mm -hmm. you will come back and you will bring Ava with you and we will do this conversation. And we can, I can call back the audio at least to like when we said Mm -hmm. this. So this is 2020, the first year of the decade. So in the next decade, it will happen. Wow. And then that will be, that's what it will be. Yes. And we'll be in your podcast. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I feel. I feel it. I feel it. So what story are you excited to tell next and why? Um, so I've had this idea for a narrative series. I don't have a title for it yet, but I, I, I really love um, anthologies, stories okay. where they intertwine. Nice. Um, and so I really want to do something where it's for black artists that work at a black owned restaurant Hmm. in the backdrop it's like the backdrop of of, I guess the show would be the massive gentrification that's happening in Boston interesting Um, and I mean I moved around a lot so I've seen a lot of gentrification Um, the fastest I've ever seen was definitely Oakland Uh, but here in particular Boston doesn't even look like what it used to no no it doesn't Um, the biggest thing that trips me up is Forest Hills, like the bridge oh being gone. Yeah. It's like, what happened? And if you go through there now, like, people don't even bring up the bridge. Mm-hmm. Condos, every, like, yeah. just wild. But I, I'd wanna, I want the show to be about, slightly about the gentrification, but also the plight of artists that, that work, like, jobs outside of their art. Mm-hmm. So trying to juggle, going to an audition when you're scheduled for a shift kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that kind of stress and anxiety. Right. Um, and I'm not sure who necessarily I'd want to cast, but I definitely want to try to work with the best <laughs> right. that's here. You know, because it makes, there's something to be said about the beauty of rising with people that are on the same level as you. Absolutely. And trying to just like reach up. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on, and that's all a part of the larger vision of making Boston pop, right? Mm-hmm. Is using talent that's homegrown, and that you your shine puts other people's spotlight right in there. So, so okay, that's another thing we'll just you know, put out in the atmosphere. <laughs> yes. So it'll ha- you have to do it. Um, so if you were to leave tomorrow, and you only had one piece that you could leave behind to your 
friends to speak to your work and just your legacy, what piece would that be? Oh, what film? short that I did and music music I meant to say music plays a big role in when I like write and make treatments and so there's this short that I did based on Lupe Fiasco with the cool oh cool and it's about a black woman who goes on a dance audition but she doesn't realize that the one of the judges is someone who sexually assaulted her. And so, Whoa. yeah, it's like five or six minutes long. And I don't know why, I, like where that even came from, but I think it was just like, I daydream a lot. And so I happen to be, have been listening to The Cool. And that's what I saw for some reason. Interesting. That's fascinating. I want to keep that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very deep piece, but it's also personal. Mm-hmm. So... Well, thank you so much for being our podcast. We wanted to acknowledge you. Um, thank you for being a rising star for all that you do. Your creative voice is multidimensional, multicultural, and expanding. May you continue to tell stories that give voice to the voiceless and change the narrative for the next generation. So thank you, Jessica. And so um, again, a big shout out to the amazing Jessica Estelle Huggins for joining us today. I will link up to uh, our site, the show notes, and share all of her social media and her amazing website. Um, And so be on the lookout for that. Please share this interview with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, the road to being a hot mama is about the journey and not the destination. As always, one love, Amelia. Yes. Yes. One love.